Welcome to episode six of Inevitable Stardust. Thanks for being here with us after the holiday break, if you're tuning in shortly after the post date. Otherwise, just thanks for being here. My name is Ned, and I am your host, and we've got a whole bunch of fun hobby content for the Horus Heresy today. Um, we're going to answer a couple of questions and then get right into the next installment of our Centurion breakdown, um, which is also going to be posted over on YouTube. Got a couple of other things in the works as well right now, including a couple of YouTube exclusive um, videos that will be coming out soon, and uh, I'll try to make those known as well. Um, but anyway, I'm very excited for 2023 and to see what we can do for uh, the Ineptus Stardust podcast and content world, and also just to explore Horus Heresy. Uh, you know, Adepticon is only a few short months away. Um, are any of you going to the Las Vegas Open? That's coming up real quick. Are you excited? I'm excited to hear about it because I think it should be a good time. Anyway, let's get into it. The first listener question is, it's probably one that a lot of us can relate to one way or another. It says, hi, Ned. Hi to you. I have a question about burnout, specifically with new projects. I've got an army that I can't seem to get to work and I'm not sure I know what to do. I get stomped by my friends and I feel like it's all uphill. How do you know when to bail on a project? That's a good question. The author here did not necessarily say what their project was, so I don't have any specific hints I can give, but I I really did like uh, this question for a couple of other reasons. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm kind of going through something similarly right now with one of the projects that I was hoping to take to Adepticon. I still think I'm going to, but it is causing me more stress than it should be. Um, I've been playing my Dark Angels and trying to figure out how to build them for the Firewing Rite of War, the Serpent's Bane Rite of War, and um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on this channel or not, but if you've looked into them at all, you might know that the Dark Angels rights, a lot of them have handicaps built in that provide your opponent with free points if certain conditions aren't met, um, and some of those can be pretty rough on, on the total. Um, and I've been having a hard time playing against my buddies with uh, with my Dark Angels because um, I just I'm not bringing enough anti tank in my list, considering what the what the uh, um, army seems to be supposed to be built towards. And so it's been really tough. Um, we played a game a couple weeks ago, and we ended up calling it like we do with a lot of our games early because of time, but. I was in a position with my uh, Firewing where I was up against a couple of Leviathans and a Maragall, and I just could not, I, I couldn't do enough to get through them all. At the end of turn three in that game, I had killed, I had actually killed all three of them, but in the meantime, um, I had been able to do nothing to much of the rest of his army, which was just standing in the center and holding objectives, and I was just so far behind on points. In addition to that, um, the, the Serpent's Bane Rite of War is the one where you have to designate certain units and you have to kill those units or your opponent gets three points apiece for any that are still alive. And he had two of those units still that I had not been able to touch because, again, I'd been stuck killing these heavy support choices that I wasn't even allowed to target with the um, Serpent's Bane Rite of War. Now, I'm not going to complain about it because I, I knew that it was going to be tough to put that together. But here, here's what I'll tell you. After that game, I sat down and I redesigned my list and I tried to strip down strip down my list to the basic essence 
of what it was and I cut out anything else that was just like superfluous or just not necessarily doing what I needed it to do. So I got rid of a lot of the infantry that was doubling up on the concepts that I had done before. So my list had been essentially two recon squads, two seeker squads, a large blob of tacticals, a support squad of rotor cannons. What else did I have in there? In this last in this last version I had a land raider with oh yeah with some of the Cenobium terminators and then I also had an Achilles Achilles land raider which is a stupid tank and I know it's bad but I I love it so it's in there. And I had a couple of other things too. But basically when I redesigned the list I was like, okay, I need to get rid of anything that doesn't sound sleek, efficient, and, you know, assassin-ish. And so I chopped all that stuff out, and I found a way to add in a few more things. I thought to myself, like, how would this list deploy from orbit in addition to infiltrate? And, you know, and I put all that together. Um, I added some outflanking elements, so I got some of the Firewing Enigmatis Cabal in the list now. And so there's going to be an outflank strike, so it's going to feel more like I'm still sticking to the lore... But um, I think it's going to have some more punch, and it's going to be better at killing some of those big, tough, impossible units. Specifically Dreadnoughts, which in my local meta, there's a lot of Dreadnoughts. And probably, I'm guessing, where you're playing, there's also going to be a lot of Dreadnoughts. Because for, for all of time, we've all been collecting Dreadnoughts because we liked them, and now they're really, really good. So, I mean, it's hard to not want to pull them out, even though you should really, really be careful. Now, with, again, without knowing necessarily what your project is, I would just have to say this. If you can't find a way to play your army, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy the narrative side of things. If you can't find a way to play your army in a way that feels fluffy and fun for you, then you shouldn't play that army. Now, fun for you doesn't necessarily mean winning, Right, because there's a lot of times. I mean, I have a blast losing sometimes. I'm, I'm sure most people do, but if it's so one-sided, or if it's so stressful for you to eke out even a win, then I mean, I don't know what your timetable is like, but I don't have a ton of time every month to play games. So if it's gonna feel like a chore to play that army, I would say move on from that project. I would say, you know, repurpose it, sell it. Uh, whatever, so that you can build something that you really, really enjoy. Um, this hobby is supposed to be about that. And and whatever else is going on in, you know, like whatever I'm telling you about what you should build, what's the best thing, what are the strongest whatevers, you know, there's a million, a million little places where you can look up some of that information online. Ultimately, this game is about what you do on the tabletops, and most of the time it's with your buddies, your close buddies, or people around you. So if you can't find a way to fit into your local meta that your project is fun and enjoyable to play, then unless you just really enjoy painting it and it's a painting project, I would get rid of it. Heresy should be fun. Heresy should be fluffy. If you're okay with playing and losing but having a good time doing it, then do that and keep hold on to that army um, because you you know it's not always easy to get what you it's not always easy to get back what you put into some of these projects. But that being said, you know, don't make this a chore because it's not supposed to be a chore. Okay, next question is um, a listener who is asking about adding onto their forces. Uh, let's see here. I'm thinking about adding a flyer or more heavy support choices, parentheses, tank, and parentheses, 
for my Death Guard or Iron Warriors armies. Any suggestions? Yeah, sure. So if you're specifically talking about tanks and not infantry, so you probably already have heavy support troops, heavy support um, squads, I guess, for your Death Guard because of the, their ability to be relentless and they're so good because of that. And I'm assuming that you already have Tyrant Siege Terminators and probably Iron Havocs for your Iron Warriors. So if you have that and you're looking for something else, there there are a couple of, of different options that are that are decent and fun. If you're looking for a centerpiece, um, like like a big, big dumb thing to put in the middle of your army, um, I don't think you can... I mean, you can always maybe look at a Kratos. Um, I don't like recommend this as a competitive choice, but I do like the look of the tank and it's fun and it's also new if you're looking to paint something a little bit different. Um, there are a couple of other tanks that aren't necessarily so bad either. Um, the Sakaran Venator is not bad with the uh, the new Nertron, I'm sorry, the Neutron Beam Laser. If you're in a meta where other people have like super heavies or a lot of other tanks, uh, the ability to, you know, use the Neutron Beam Laser is pretty good. Then what else do we have? I mean, you can always just put in an, uh, an extra land raider, just adding an extra land raider so you can transport other troops that don't necessarily have access to the assault vehicle. Um, like, surprisingly, veterans don't have those anymore. So if you have a veteran squad that you have been putting in Rhino, you'd like to put them in one of those. It's not necessarily a bad place for a heavy support choice to go. Um, flyers are in kind of a weird place right now. Um, so the way that Interceptor works, whenever they come on the board, they can be shot at before they do anything. And so that makes that makes all the flyers kind of rough if you have your opponent has anti-air. Now, before, that sort of interaction was kind of like a Derrideo-only thing. So people would bring like one Derrideo, and then you had a good shot at like taking down a flyer. But now pretty much anything that has an Auspex scanner can do just that. And it makes it kind of rough to justify some of the flyers that you can bring on the board. I like the Fire Raptor. It's got some nice firepower. A Storm Eagle is kind of cool too, but um, you know, again, it's so fragile comparatively and when you look at the amount of anti-air that people can have out there. I think the Xiphon is cool too, and it's really cheap to bring. It's not particularly durable, but like it, it's specifically designed as an anti-air you know, flyer. That could be a fun thing just for variety. I guess it kind of depends on where you are in your list building and what you're trying to expand to do. I like to have themes with my army, so I don't want to pick something that's too necessarily like out of touch or out of step with the rest of my design. But yeah, there's definitely a few options there. I mean, I I love some of the dumb stuff a lot. Like I've got this um, Achilles... Uh, Land Raider that I was just talking about in the last section. I've played it in a couple games now. I'm working on getting it painted up. When I do, I'm going to keep a special spot on its back armor plate to notch how many times it gets blown up before it gets a chance to move out of my deployment zone because that's what's happened to it in three out of the four games I've used it with. But like, you know, some of those fun things. If you're down to like 300 points in your list, and you've got to feel like you've got a pretty solid list. Just pick something that's fun, you know. Pick something that's going to look nice as to be like your centerpiece or whatever else. Don't really have much advice on anything bigger than that. You didn't necessarily ask about it, but as far as super heavies go, haven't really looked into those that much yet. I know that 
some people are talking about that the uh, the glaive and the falchion might be pretty good still. Um, so if you want like a big tank, then yeah, I would go for one of those. I generally speaking try to have one super heavy um, that goes along with every one of my forces. So I guess I got to decide what super heavy I'm going to get for my white scars, and then also for my uh, night lords, and then also for my oh god, this question's going to end up costing me a lot of money. In another little bit of news, there has been the the event schedule for Adepticon has come out, which is the big event that I'm looking forward to. And uh, Push for Beta Garmin is going to be there on Friday night. I'm planning on going to that and a couple of other heresy activities as well, depending on what I can get in the cart. But uh, that the there hasn't been an update for a little bit as far as how things are going and progressing with the campaign. But I can tell you that, you know, my friends and I have been continuing to play our games. I've played another three games with a lot of my different forces, and I'm very excited about about how that's going. We're building our little narrative, and it's definitely fun when you put it into that immediate scope. So if you're not doing that, I mean, you're thinking about going to Adepticon, I urge you to get involved now because there's still a couple months left. You can still be a part of it before the whole thing kicks off in March. Speaking of which, how are your hobby goals going? What are you going to do to get ready over the next three months? I have made a goal for myself this year that I'm going to paint more models than I purchase, and I think that should be doable because I got a lot to paint just before Adepticon, but I am hoping to settle down into a regular pattern, a more regular pattern, and see if maybe I can eke out five hours a week just for painting. That might not sound like a lot to some of you, but I have, uh, you know, I have to work at night uh, as well as in the day, and then I have, you know, little kiddos. So for those of you who are also hobby dads or just hobby multi-jobbers, so to speak, what are your plans for getting hobby stuff done in 2023? I'd love to hear from you. Next up, we're just going to jump into the uh, Centurion stuff and uh, get working on those two things. Uh, this is, like I said, this is also going to be present on YouTube, which will be linked below as well. And keep an eye on that channel, please, because uh, I'm going to be posting a couple of new videos. I got a couple things in the can that are just um, waiting on a little bit of art, and uh, I'll have some exciting new things out on that channel as well. Thanks a lot. Okay, so today we're going to cover the first of the two Centurions that are actually, it's actually possible to take in Terminator armor. So we're going to talk about, today I picked the Forge Lord and the Champion. So before we get into this, I'll talk a little bit about the differences because this is the first time we have, there's, there's different war gear options depending on if you take them in Terminator armor or not. So that's extra bonus of Hazel the dog joining us here in the recording. Um, so... Centurion, uh, if you are taking them with a Terminator, your options are limited to uh, you may exchange your Combi Bolter for a Magna or a Minor Combi Weapon or a Volkite Charger. You can exchange your Power Weapon for a Power Fist, a Lightning Claw, a Chain Fist, or a Thunder Hammer. You can exchange everything for two Lightning Claws, and you can take a Grenade Harness. If you are... Uh, Running the Centurion, you get a ton more different options. Like you get turnable weapons, um, you can take chain axes, you can take Nemesis Bolter, shotgun, other things like that. You can also take, of course, uh, special mountings um, or the uh, jump packs. 
So you get a lot more choices in that regard. Now, the other differences are that the uh, Legion Cataphracti Centurion has one less movement, so it's only movement six as opposed to movement seven for the other two. But they get a built-in, because of the Cataphracti armor, four plus invulnerable save, whereas the Legion uh, Tartarus Centurion only gets a five plus invulnerable save. They also, the lead Cataphracti Centurion also gains the inexorable rule, and the bulky two rule so to fall more closely in line with the rest of the terminators that they're likely to be squatted up with we'll start with the one that's going to be the most complicated which is going to be the legion forge lord the legion forge lord gains some special rules it gains battlesmith and the master of Vatanada and the legionis thalax's special rule so this is unique in which the forge lord allows any army with one of them to take up to three Thalax cohorts as non-compulsory elite choices in the same detachment as the model with a special rule. These units may not select a dedicated transport of any kind. Any models in the Thalax cohort which are included in the army due to the special rule gain the Legionis Astartes rule of their, you know, Forge Lord, and it shares a that it shares a detachment with but it cannot select any Legion-specific war gear or any other options. In addition for war gear, the Legion uh, Forge Lord gets a Machinator Array for free and can select a Cortex Controller for 15 points and or a Cyber Familiar for 15 points. So the Cyber Familiar is probably a no-brainer. Um, it's 15 points that allows you to take whatever invulnerable save your character has and give it a plus one. So if you are putting this guy into Cataphracti Armor, they get a 4-plus invulnerable save. Uh, because of the Cataphracti Armor, this will allow you to improve it by plus 1. So now you have a 3-plus invulnerable save on a Cataphracti Centurion. That's really, really good. Um, last episode, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that this um, this one, the Forge Lord, is actually able to take um, Terminator Armor. And when I said, so when I said the Pravian has the best save of any of these Centurions, I was forgetting about the Forge Lord entirely. So you can put them in, get, a four, get up to a 4-plus in Artificer Armor, or a 3-plus in Cataphracti, or a 4-plus again if you're putting them in uh, Tartarus Armor. So the next one, which is a little bit more confusing to me, is the inclusion of the Cortex Controller. The Cortex Controller allows any unit that includes one or more models with a Cybernetica unit subtype, um, they can, they can uh, ignore program behavior rules um, described as part of that subtype while they're within 12 inches of a unit with the Cortex controller, okay? So this is 15 points for this upgrade, and this would allow you to better control the Cybernetica that are in your army. Here's the thing about this, um, this particular uh, war gear is that we don't need this given what the Forge Lord is able to bring to the table. So the Forge Lord is able to bring Thalax, and Thalax are not actually subject to the rule of um, the Cybernetica subtypes uh, and the program behavior. They don't need this sort of control or support. The Forge Lord does not enable you to take other bits of Cybernetica unless, I suppose, you're doubling up and you've got a forge lord and you're also bringing a pravian i suppose but then you've also got the pravian there so it wouldn't necessarily be a problem i think this is one that you just um you skip entirely i'm not exactly sure why this war gear is on here in other editions you need to have a cortex controller i believe to repair um certain things 
uh, like with your Battlesmith rule, but the Battlesmith rule has been changed so that that's not the case either. The Battlesmith rule, which the Forge Lord already gets, says that if you're in base-to-base with or embarked upon a vehicle, Dreadnought, or Automata that is damaged during the shooting phase, you can attempt to repair it instead of firing a weapon, roll a d6, and if your result is equal to or more than the value listed, then you can do one of the following things. You can repair a hull point, restore a lost wound, repair a weapon destroyed result, or repair an immobilized result. So those are all good things. But the thing the thing is that you don't need to... This, this doesn't interact with the Cortex controller in any way. And I think it used to, right? So uh, maybe this is just a copy-paste issue, or maybe they were planning on introducing something later on the way, or they were thinking that more people would double dip. But this is an easy, don't spend 15 points on me sort of thing to help make sure you're keeping, you know, your army tidy and neat. So after a little bit of time and thinking about it and thinking about it, I went back to the rulebook and I found out why the Forge Lord needs the Cortex controller. There is a rite of war called the Brethren of Iron, and it allows a lot of Mechanicum options to be taken alongside um, your standard Legion uh, troops and the reason why you need the forge lord in there is because and the cortex controller is because there are some pretty heavy restrictions requiring you to have that cortex controller so that you can keep control of all the automata so here's here's what the brethren of iron does um castellax uh, uh vorax and domitar can be taken um in your four sword chart as comp- non-compulsory troops uh, non-compulsory fast attack and then non-compulsory elites. In addition, you can take one Thanatar Siege Automata Maniple um, as a non-compulsory heavy support. And then any Legion Tech Marine can take a Cortex Controller for 20 points a model. There are some pretty heavy limitations here. You cannot have more units in this detachment with the Automata rule than you have uh, other units. So for every Automata unit that you bring, you must bring another unit of Legionaries. And in addition to that, at least one model with a Cortex controller must be included in the detachment for every three models with the automata unit type in the detachment. That is a huge, huge requirement. Um, no models in the detachment may be given the Paragon of Metal special rule, which is a special thing that Mechanicum can do only. And um, the last one is that a model with the Forge Lord upgrade must be taken as the compulsory HQ choice, so you absolutely have to have a Forge Lord if you want to run this Rite of War. However, you do not have to uh, take them as the Warlord per se, but they have to be in the list. You're going to have to take another HQ to unlock Master of the Legion, which is something that only Praetors or the Delgadis can unlock, so you've got a tax here of a required Forge Lord, and that Forge Lord you're almost definitely going to be taking that Cortex controller on because for every three models in your army with uh, the automata type, you need a Cortex controller. So you need a lot of these things around there. So that's why. And a good reminder of why it's always important to go back and check the rules. Now, without a doubt, the saddest thing here is the Forge Lord used to be able to get rad grenades and cannot anymore. Rad grenades give anybody in, in combat with the Forge Lord minus one to toughness. So it was a huge force multiplier and useful in a lot of different situations. It's not the case anymore, so scratch this off the list, that off the list of, uh, of tricks that you can run. But, uh, you know, there's definitely some other things to talk about here. Now, what's interesting, though, 
with the Forge Lord is trying to figure out how you're going to field the Forge Lord, if you're going to put them in Terminator armor or not, because there is a kind of a complication with what they allow you to do and then what you're going to want to do with them. So we already know about the additional uh, invulnerable save that we're going to get, which makes taking um, taking this character as a cataphracte Praetor very appealing. Um, in addition to that, no matter what, you can get the free Machinator Array, which is a servo weapon um, that allows you to do um, some unique things. A Machinator Array gets to make two additional attacks in the Assault Phase with the Machinator Array's special braiding, which is plus one strength, AP2, melee, unwieldy, shred, and armor bane. Now it's been important, it's important to note that in the last FAQ, um, GW answered a strange question previously, and again we're always going back to what happened in the last edition, but previously servo weapons like servo arms or something like this, you would get one extra attack and you just get like a free attack and that was cool, right? Well, as it was worded, some people noticed that it's just listed as a melee weapon now. So the question was, do you get two free attacks or can you take all of your attacks? And according to, at least in the Mechanicum book, you can uh, take all your full allotment of attacks plus some with if you take the Machinator Array or if you take uh, the Servo Arm. So rules as written and presuming that the same FAQ applies for both because it's the same piece of war gear, you can take the Machinator Array as your only weapon, which you get for free, and it's an AP2 weapon, plus one, it's unwieldy, it has shred, and armor bane melee. In addition to that, right, that melee profile, which is already pretty nice, a Machinator Array incorporates a flamer and a melted gun, and if the model with the Machinator Array has the Battlesmith rule, which the Forge Lord does, they get to add plus two to their repair roll if they also have a Machinator Array. So your Forge Lord taking this thing for free, because you might as well consider it part of your war gear, you're battlesmithing on a 2+, and you get decent, pretty decent melee weapon, a melt-a-gun, and a flamer. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. So you've got a couple different options with how you're going to take this Forge Lord and what you're going to do with them. The, the thing that immediately jumps out as appealing, I think, is that you have the option for the Terminator armor, and you have the option to make that Terminator armor and vulnerable save even more effective. So it seems like a done deal in that regard. Um, what are you going to buy them for a weapon? You already have a pretty effective melee weapon in the Machinator array that strikes at unwieldy. Um, it will not instant kill anything, but it's going to do... I mean, it's going to do a fair amount of work. Plus one to your strength, so strength five, AP two. And plus two attacks means that base on this, if you're using all your attacks on it, your Forge Lord has five attacks before the charge, which is pretty interesting. Your additional options, if you are running as a Cataphracti or a Tartaros, though, is you could take a Chain Fist for 15 points, and then you could, um, you know, have a really effective, um, a really effective, uh, you know, instant kill option. Probably what would make sense to me, since the, uh, well, no, the armor bane really isn't going to help you that much with strength five. Yeah, you might want to take the chain fist. Uh, power fist would be ten points. A lightning claw, a one, a single lightning claw by itself is uh, free, free. So you could side grade for there, or you could spring for fifteen points to get to um, have a thunder hammer. So uh, I don't see a very 
I don't see a clear-cut option here, or you could just keep the regular power weapon if you wish. Although I would say that if you're going to spring for a power weapon, it's probably going to be a power sword, um, as the, the Machinator Ray is better than um, straight up a power axe. So <clears throat> why wouldn't you try to get something else that you might swing a little bit quicker if you felt the need, if you feel like you have to swing at initiative five as opposed to waiting for the last. Now, of course, you definitely can take a Forge Lord um, with a jump pack. You can put a Forge Lord on a bike or a jet bike if you wished. Uh, it, there's definitely, I could see potential reasons to do so. Um, I don't know. If you've got a unit that's going to speed around and support this person, if you have vehicles that you desperately need to be <laughs> topped off for hull points and whatever on different sides of the battlefield, I guess. I don't know. Um, but realistically, um, this is a model that has a better than average melee output to start because of the Machinator Array. It has the ability to have a stronger, more hardy than usual invulnerable save. So I honestly think that I see a Legion Cataphracti Forge Lord as probably what would be the most expected option to come out of this. But this is what's interesting about that. We're talking about all these other things, and we're not talking about maybe the most unique part of the Forge Lord, which is the ability to bring those Thalak. So to add the next wrinkle, let's take a look at what you actually get to bring um, because of the Forge Lord. So the Thalax Cohort, it's a base of 125 points for three models. This is in the Mechanicum book. The three Thalax, they have infantry, and interestingly enough, they are line. So you are able to bring elite choices with line. Veteran squads cry, but whatever. It's, it's line and it's an elite choice, a non-compulsory, a non but it's still there. As far as war gear, every Thalax Cohort gets... A close combat weapon, a lightning gun, a Loric, the Lorica Thalax, the Incan... Oh my gosh. I should have prepared to read this beforehand. I'm going to go with Incanabulin, jetpack, and frag grenades. They also get um, Bulky 2, Ginsight, Feel No Pain 6+, Relentless, and Stubborn. For options, you can take up to a 6 additional Thalax um, per unit, so a total of 9 in total... Each one after the fact is 37 points a model. The whole squad can take Melt-A-Bombs for 5 points a model. And the uh, any model with a Lightning Gun can take a Chain Bayonet for plus 2 points, which is the same Chain Bayonet that, that uh, Legionaries can get. And then for every 3 models in the unit, 1 Thalax can exchange their Lightning Gun for one of the following weapons. A Multi-Laser for 5 points an IRAD cleanser for 10 points, the phased plasma fusel for 10 points, a multi-melta for 10, 25, or a photon thruster for 25. So we're going to start off talking about the lightning gun, which is the stock weapon. And this is the same gun that the Vorax get from last episode, so it should sound familiar. Arc setting is 18 inches range with strength 8, I'm sorry, strength 4, AP dash, heavy 3, and shred. The strike setting is 18 inches, strength 7, AP5, Heavy 1, Rending, and Shred. 18 inches range and heavy won't really matter to these guys because they do have jetpacks, so they can jump around quite a bit, they can boost a bit, and they have the Relentless rules so they can run and fire, the, or, you know, move and fire these weapons. The additional options are interesting as well. For 5 points, the Multi-Laser is a 36-inch range weapon, Strength 6, 
AP6, and Heavy 3. So, I mean, it's better than the three-shot version you get from the, um, the Lightning Gun, but it is worse in the fact that it has no AP. You're just trying to churn up bad guys with it. So, you know, it's good. Strength 6 means that you won't have to miss the Shred reroll from the Lightning Gun so much. And for 5 points, it's not that big of a deal. The Irad Cleanser is a template weapon, uh, strength 2, AP 5, Assault 1, Flesh Bane, and Radphage. Uh, this is bad. Um, it's not necessarily bad all the time, but it's bad on this model. Um, because anytime you're taking one of three and giving them a flamer as opposed to a ranged weapon, then to get close enough to use this thing, you're going to jeopardize the rest of the phalanx, um, unless you really, really feel like you need it. But it doesn't have, uh, it had, does have flashbane, so it's going to wound, but everything will get it save. You're not going to be able to guarantee wiping out a squad, most likely. So I would say this is an automatic no-go, especially for the privilege of 10 points per uh, unit, or per model. That's, that's no good. The phased plasma fusel is definitely more interesting. At 20 points a model, it is a strength, or I'm sorry, 24 inch range, strength six, AP three, heavy three, breaching four plus, and gets hot. So strength six, AP three base, so it's gonna kill Marines. Three shots a piece, and breaching four plus. It's, I mean, you're, you're probably gonna do okay with it. There are probably better units in the Mechanicum list to spam plasma fusel on, but it's definitely an option. One real problem with this is the fact that because it's base AP3, if you do roll a 1, you will be relying upon a invulnerable save and then a feel no pain in order to not be dead because your your armor save with the Thalax cohort is not that great. You might have 3 wounds, but you've only got a 4 plus save. The last option is the Multi-Melta. It's a 24-inch range weapon with a chance to instant kill almost any tank that isn't a super heavy and a really good chance to pen with that one shot as long as you were the 12 inches range if you're going to do an upgrade this is the one that's the most immediately attractive to me because of the fact that the phalanx are jump troops that can move in get close and then they have the ability to uh, utilize that 12 inch range effectively to try to get what it's wanting to do done you know you could theoretically have everybody else in the squad just switch to the strike and uh hit with strength 7 and hope for a rend, and maybe try to add additional hull points down on something, provided you're not trying to take out anything armor value 14 or something like that. That wouldn't necessarily be a bad way to try to use your Thalax. Now part of the reason that this is particularly interesting on the Thalax is because of their unique jetpack, the Incunabulan. Oh, that was... Ugh. Anyway, that one. <clears throat> A unit composed entirely of models with this jetpack may choose to increase its movement characteristic by 6 and ignore terrain while moving during the movement phase. So that's that much, that, that tracks, we understand how that works. A, a unit that begins or ends its turn in difficult terrain and dangerous terrain still takes at such, blah blah blah. Um, same thing as every other jetpack. Okay, but in addition to the bonus move during the movement phase, a unit composed entirely of models with these jetpacks can make an additional move of six inches during the shooting phase. This move must be taken after the unit has completed any shooting attacks, is not limited by the weapons fired by that unit during the shooting phase, and ignores terrain in the same manner as the moves made during the movement phase. Interestingly enough, um, it also makes you bulkier than you would be. So if you're bulky one, 
uh, you become bulky too. This is probably why the Thalax have the bulky two rule because of this jetpack. Okay. During any reaction that allows a unit to move, a unit composed entirely of these uh, jetpacks may increase the movement by six if it, and allow it to ignore terrain, etc., etc., etc. Okay. So this is a couple. There's a couple of interesting things to note here. Um, the Thalax can use that uh, can use that um, movement after. Um, they shoot. So you can hop over a wall or hop into 12 inch range uh, for the multi-melta and then scoot six inches back to provide yourself a little bit more cushion, say just a little, just a touch outside of your opponent's reach if you so wish. But the other thing, and it doesn't say that firing weapons using this extra move impedes in any way, shape, or form your ability to charge after the fact. Now, the Thalax, maybe this would be a good time to go over their stats, their stats, they have a movement of 7, they have an abysmal weapon skill of 3, they have a ballistic skill of 4, strength 4, toughness 5, wounds 3, initiative 2, 2 attacks, leadership 7, and a 4 plus save. So this is not a melee unit, but I'd like to remind you that for 5 points a model, every one of these 3 wound toughness 5 models can have melt bombs So, you are looking at a squad that can move... 13 inches, fire their weapons, move an additional 6 inches, and then charge into a tank and attach melting bombs. That's pretty good. Now, what's most important to note about this special jump pack that provides all this utility and this bonus and whatever else is that this rule is negated if anyone joins the squad who doesn't have this specific kind of jetpack. Jet and the Forge Lord can't have this kind of jetpack. So, the Forge Lord allows you to take these um, really cool units. He gives you a chance to get line in your elite spot. You can gear them up towards tank hunting, or just infantry removal if you wish, or just sneaky line objective grabbers. But and he he's really tough on his own. But the thing is, the the game is very much encouraging you not to run with this squad because you don't want to do that. You don't want to inhibit their ability to do their cool jump and whatever else. So I think, as I said before, the way to take the Forge Lord is to take them with uh, Terminator armor, with the uh, take the Machinator array for free, take a 15-point upgrade for the uh, Cyber Familiar, so the cheer armor save goes up to a 3-plus in that Cataphractite armor, and then whatever else you want to buy, you can if you want to give them more weapons, a more, a more specific close combat weapon other than the power weapon, or just leave them stock with a power sword so you've got an option of doing something at multiple initiative steps. I think any way you do it, it's going to work okay. Um, and it's going to be, like I said, a better than average effective close combat weapon that also provides a ton of utility. Almost good enough to make you forget that it used to have... Uh, rat grenades. So how would I run it? Well, I tell you what, I think I'm actually going to put a Forge Lord into my Night Lords list. So I'm talking about um, the Legion Cataphractite Centurion, 85 points, plus 40 points for the Forge Lord upgrade, plus 15 points for the Cyber Familiar, plus 5 points for uh, the Grenade Harness. I'm going to give him a side grade of a lightning claw for free and then i'm going to pay two points for a volkite charger because i think volkite 
is cool. So this guy's gonna look pretty sweet with one creepy, crawly, grabby lightning claw, sweet little machinator array thing on his back, and a Volcate Charger um, on top as well. Um, 147 points. Now for the Night Lord's list that I'm looking at, I am going to be, I'm a little concerned about not having quite enough anti-tank. So I'm going to take two squads of three Thalax, and we're going to be looking at giving them a multi-melta upgrade, and then also giving them melta bombs. So for 125 points base, for adding uh, melta bombs for each of them, 15 points, and then giving them a one 25-point multi-melta, we're looking at 165 points for this squad. Now, this does not provide a lot of direct synergy with the uh, Talent for Murder because a three-person squad with uh, Bulky is really only six models. So it's not going to outnumber hardly anything, definitely not outnumber a tank, whatever else. However, in this given situation, I think the ability to move and hide and uh, sneak them around different places and just apply a little bit of pain might be balanced and worth it. I mean, I can always double up the squad and just put them together if I think that would be best, but I'll try playing around with it. Now, the other thing that's really interesting and something to remember and something that cannot be cannot be undervalued is the fact that the Thalax cohort that is taken with the Forge Lord gains Legionis Astartes rule. So the Thalax would get access to a Talent for Murder. Now, even if they can't use it, which is not great, the fact is they have the rule. So there are all sorts of other things then that these Thalax are open to getting. So in the instance of my list, I am looking towards running a Terror Assault list with Conrad Kurz. Now, Conrad Kurz, the Night Hunter, he gives a whole bunch of army-wide buffs um, that are really basically just discounts on stuff that you might want to buy anyway, but you can't. So um, the Thalax that I've got here, they are going to get free night vision and free bloody murder because they are technically in or they're they're technically Legionis Astartes. So they've got the same things that everybody else does, and so they will benefit from they will benefit from that rule. Now, the Thalax cannot take a dedicated transport. However, it does not mean that they cannot get into a transport. And so they can, I think, be transported in other ways. On top of that, their jetpack gives them the ability to deep strike. So they have that as well. There's lots of options with these guys, and they get to do lots of cool things because of it. Now before we continue on with this, maybe we should take a second and check in on the Horus Heresy itself. I hear that there is a particularly fierce battle between the Ultramarines and their hated enemies, those dang word bearers, right now. Sir, we're holding our own but taking heavy casualties. Should we withdraw to more defensive position until reinforcements arrive? Negative, son of Ultramar. We hold in the Primarch's name. As long as champion Gustav holds, we hold. Have faith and help shall arrive. Aha! A vast knave tastes steel and dishonor. Parry, thrust, repost, repartee! Yes, uh, sir, he's been dueling that word bear for, uh, quite a while now. I'm not sure if waiting around for that to finish is the wisest. Sir, the enemy assault troops are approaching from deep strike assault. We will hold. We are tasked 
with the control of this ill, and we shall not fail. Take courage from mighty Gustav and his... For Ultramar! For the Emperor! For Gilliman! For the Legion! For the... Ugh. Okay, that was a good one there. I should probably pay more attention. Well, he's... He's just so dedicated, you know. It's so... Inspirational. Oh god, we're all gonna die. Another potential favorite of mine this edition is the Legion Champion. For 35 points, the Legion Champion gets an increase of their weapon skill to weapon skill 6, which makes them strike as well as a base Praetor. They get the Never Back Down special rule, and they get a free Paragon Blade for no additional points costs. The Paragon Blade itself as an upgrade for a Praetor runs around 30 points, so an additional weapon skill and additional rule it's already a good deal, but the Never Back Down rule, let's take a look at this. If possible, a unit that includes a model with this special rule must issue a challenge when engaged in combat. And, if an enemy player issues a challenge to a unit including one or more models with the special rule, then a model with the special rule must accept. In addition, during any assault phase where this model begins the fight subphase engaged in a challenge or enters into a challenge with an enemy model, this model and all friendly models in the same combat gain fearless until the end of that assault phase. Okay, so this is a really interesting uh, rule. There are lots of other rules in the past. It's not uncommon to have rules that mandate challenges, so that's nothing necessarily new to heresy as a concept. The fearless as a result of it is really, really interesting because of what it allows you to do in certain situations. So first of all, what are you gonna take with this champion? Let's start with that. You could, if you wished, give them additional uh, war gear, like maybe a pistol um, or something, um, a gun, If you, I guess if you're taking a, you know, in Terminator armor. But realistically, a free Paragon Blade, a Paragon Blade, which is a weapon that normally champions can't, or uh, centurions can't have, Giving it to a Centurion here, giving it to your champion, is really good. So as a quick reminder, the Paragon Blade is a plus one strength AP2 weapon that has Murderous Strike on a 6+, plus and uh, Specialist. So you won't be getting an additional attack um, from normal, like, pistol or close combat weapon sort of addition, but you do have a Paragon Blade, um, which strikes at AP2, at initiative, and also has a one in six chance if you wound on a six, and your then your the your weapon has the instant death special rule. So you have the ability to just flat out take out any multi wound model, provided it does not have instant death protection. Okay. Now the champion comes in base with uh, the same attacks that every other centurion has. So three attacks base, four on the charge. Now, what's different about the Centurion, uh, this Centurion, of course, is that that bump in weapon skill has a huge impact on the overall effectiveness of this model. Now, you are going to end up in a challenge with this model. So, um, presumably, what are you trying to target? Well, you're probably trying to kill other HQ choices, or, I mean, of course, if the situation presents itself, you're just sniping a sergeant or something to that effect. Now, with weapon skill 6, 
unless you are attacking another Praetor, you are probably hitting on a 3+, and you're probably causing your opponent to hit you, at best, on a 5+. So already, this character in a challenge is going to have a fair amount of survivability because of the boost in weapon skill, and also be more offensively efficient because of what we're assuming is a plus one to hit. Now, after we factor that into effect, you take the four attacks, let's presume a charge here, four attacks hitting on three, that means that you are likely hitting two and a half to three times, and then because of, I guess if we're assuming you're fighting another legionary, you're looking at a three plus chance to wound, so you've got a pretty good chance of landing one to two wounds, and maybe one of those is a murderous strike. So obviously the murderous strike is the thing that everybody wants, and everybody hopes for, but realistically, you can expect uh, your opponent to have to take one invulnerable save and probably one wound, maybe two. So that's good, but it's not necessarily great. But here's the kicker which makes the champion so interesting. So let's say you end up in a combat and you are in a challenge with a superior foe or superior praetor, and you end up in a situation where you don't actually get to kill them. Your Centurion here is not going to be by themselves. The Champion is going to be in some kind of squad going somewhere in order to safeguard them so they can make it into this combat. Now, because of the fact that you are in that challenge, the squad that you are with becomes automatically fearless. All right? Now, what is the purpose of the Champion? If the purpose of the Champion is just to remove a high-powered character from the board then it really doesn't matter what kind of squad you necessarily put the champion in. You might not necessarily care if the champion goes into a super, you know, combat-efficient unit. Let's say you take the champion and you put it into a thick a tactical squad of 15 or so marines, and you also give them, you know, let's say an apothecary. Now, you have a ton of ablative wounds connected to this uh, champion. You've got some probably some good rerolls depending on your positioning and where you're on the board you might be triggering heart of the legion so they're even have an even better um feel no pain but on top of that no matter what happens in that combat however however many models you have left after the fight you will not flee which means that if the challenge is still ongoing and your champion is still alive and so is the opponent you get another shot next turn to try and take them out with that murderous strike or just hold them there further Suddenly, the champion becomes an interesting way for relatively cheap amount of points to stick them in the line someplace, try to hold up or shore up part of your line from an obvious charge, take out a couple characters or something, but basically guarantee that that unit is not going to fall back provided it doesn't get totally destroyed or swept by whatever's coming at it. Now this is a really interesting tactical ploy. It makes sense from a fluff standpoint to have a champion, you know, in with the rank and file troops for inspiration to shore up that part of the line or whatever else, and it gives you a lot of tactical options. Now, you could always put them into another squad which is a much, you know, fiercer combat squad or whatever else, but if you're looking at making multiple threats and then multiple protections and you know, uh, screens for yourself, then the champion can actually become a really interesting defensive tool that you can sort of deploy in order to try and make your line hold out better against certain uh, enemies. So, again, I really, really like this. Now, 
the champion. You could put it in Terminator armor, of course, and uh, Cataphracti, probably what, what I'm thinking for that 4-plus save. But uh, because of that and other things, you might not necessarily want to... Uh, Especially if you're going to go the route of hiding them in a tactical squad or whatever else. So Artificer Armor would be fine as well. Still a 5 plus and a vulnerable save. Still that effective uh, and interesting access to a Paragon Blade in a way that doesn't normally happen. And, uh, you know, a really fun and flavorful concept for the Horus Heresy and for a lot of different forces. I mean, every Legion has champions. Uh, obviously, every Legion has all of these Centurions. But the stories are constantly full of, you know, these champions who come together and duel. And it's one of my favorite and most cinematic parts of the game. So definitely one of my favorite choices for the Centurion. All right, so how am I going to run this unit? Well, um, I might run uh, a Legion champion. Let's, let's say I'm thinking about putting him in my, uh, my Dark Angels list. So I'm going to run a Dark Angels Legion champion. I'm going to stick with the basic war gear that comes and add absolutely nothing because the most important thing to me is the Paragon Blade. So at that point, we're looking at a grand total of 95 points for this model. Maybe I decide that I want to add Melt-A-Bombs as just an extra option. It's not necessarily a bad idea. That only adds 10 points to the total cost. So we're looking at a cool 105. Okay. So 105 points for the Centurion, and then I'm going to put him in with a Tactical Squad, or potentially a Despoiler Squad. Now, what I'm thinking here is that um, for Dark Angels, if I give my Tactical Squad the Deathwing uh, mark, uh, then they get a plus one to hit with Chain Swords and whatever else. So even though I'm putting him into a squad with just generic, you know, line troops. I'm utilizing a little bit of the synergy from my Legion. I'm getting that additional plus one to hit and actually getting an additional plus one to hit with my champion as well because of the plus one from the Paragon Blade. So now this guy is hitting even better, potentially hitting on a two plus against uh, some of the some of the other HQ choices that he might be going after. Definitely if he's just slapping around some sergeant or something like that. Now, like I said, I'm planning on putting this, embedding this, this Centurion into a large unit. Perhaps I'm thinking about adding a Centurion as well. And now I've got a fairly formidable squad of um, survivable uh, base Marines who have an additional defense of, I know they're not going to necessarily run away because I'm presuming the ability to get into a challenge. I've got the Centurion who's going to hit well, maybe take out the, you know, sergeant or other hq choice so eliminate a couple of special weapons from the combat i mean maybe i just hold for an indefinite period of time until i can apply other forces to this major problem um, that i'm presuming that this squad is standing in front of or uh you know maybe i actually just whittle them down and take care of it but regardless this is how i think i would like to try to run a champion i think it'd be a fun way to do it thanks so much for listening slash watching uh, I really appreciate uh, the continued support. Uh, look forward to part four coming up sometime soon. I think I'm going to squeeze a couple of extra ones in here. Maybe we'll do the Legion Delgatus, the Chaplain, and perhaps the, ooh, the Herald. We'll get to the Herald as well. Stay tuned for more. Thank you. Uh, one last parting thought before we close out the episode here, episode six. Um, thanks again for being a continued listener it's really awesome to know that you're out there and following along with the content um the heresy community is all about that kind of support which is one of the things that's the best about it um 
as we get ready to go towards Adepticon, um, you know, we can't can't go any farther without talking about David Komen. Uh, for those of you who are unaware or unfamiliar, David um, David ran events at Adepticon and was a pillar in the community from Texas. Um, and he passed away um, suddenly a, a couple weeks ago. And um, it's been a big shock for everybody. Um, I, obviously, he, I think he leaves, he leaves behind a fiancé and you know a whole community of wargamers that just really thought he was a great guy. Um, I got a chance to talk to David actually over like just Facebook Messenger for like two years before I got to meet him because COVID shut everything down before I got a chance to uh, to ever actually go to Adepticon. But we chatted a couple times before that. He was a really nice guy, really welcoming to me as I was new into the larger Horus Heresy community, um, and he will definitely be missed. Um, his, uh, his activities are going to be followed and, uh, you know, uh, the campaign that he ran before is going to be, um, still going to be offered by a close friend of his who helped him work with it before. And, um, I'm definitely going to make sure that I'm available for one day of that because we've got to pay tribute to a guy who was a really awesome example of what we want more of in the Horus Heresy community. He was dedicated to his craft. He loved the stories, loved his uh, fellow game players, and um, you know, loved the lore of, of it all. Um, so here's to David, um, and uh, let's all try to be a little bit more like somebody like him. Thanks so much. Um, more to come soon. Enjoy the start of your new 